So Kyle Shanahan initially said on Tuesday that he thought the entire coaching staff uh, would be back um, for him uh, in the 2024 season. But that changed yesterday afternoon when they fired defensive coordinator Steve Wilkes uh, out after just one season. Remember, he replaced D'Amico Ryans, who became the head coach in Houston and had a very good first season as a head coach. Kyle said, this morning I relieved Steve Wilkes of his duties. Uh, We're going to end up making a change here at defensive coordinator, a really tough decision because it really says nothing about Steve as a man or as a football coach. I mean, he's exactly what we wanted as a man. He is a great football coach, but just where we're going and where we're at with our team from a scheme standpoint and things like that, looking through it all throughout the year to these last few days, I felt pretty strongly that strongly that this was a decision that was best for the organization. Um, he dodged questions about it for the most part and just said, it's something that I have to do and we're just going to go in a different direction. In Wilkes's one season as the defensive coordinator in San Francisco, um, they did a you know they did a good job. Uh, they had in 2022, if you recall, under D'Amico Ryan's, they were great. They included uh, they, that season included uh, having the fewest points allowed per game, the fewest defensive expected points uh, added in the game, and it did take a step back. To a certain degree, uh, they were third in points allowed in the league, uh, ninth in defensive EPA. Um, now, with the with the exception of the Kansas City Super Bowl game, Green Bay and Detroit shredded the San Francisco defense in the two playoff games. In many ways, the 49ers were very fortunate to be in the Super Bowl and have a chance to win the Super Bowl because they were in deep trouble against Green Bay, you know, down 21-14 heading into that fourth quarter, a game in which, you know, they allowed Green Bay to go, you know, over 50% on third down, um, had, you know, a, a very, very strong offensive performance from Jordan Love and from Aaron Jones on the ground who averaged over six yards per carry. Then you got to the Detroit game. Let's face it. That's the luckiest game of the postseason. The 49ers are dead to right if Detroit doesn't, you know, literally pee down their leg, you know, during that third quarter stretch of dropped passes on fourth down, fumbles, you know, punts going into the uh, down at the one yard line being carried into the end zone. Um, Some of the decisions perhaps by Campbell. I mean, they were in total control of that game. Uh, up 24-10 and about to make it 27-10, and they were shredding San Francisco. Again, better 50% on third down. Green Bay was better than 50%. 442 yards of total offense with basically much of that coming in three quarters. 28 first downs, 31 points, you know, and they turned down points with some of their fourth down decisions. So um, it was not the smoothest of postseasons for the 49er defense. Uh, And really, when you look at the 49ers this year, when they played lesser offensive teams, they dominated, uh, with the exception of the Cowboys. When they played better offensive teams, they struggled. You know, even early in the season, the Vikings had a big night when they beat them uh, on Monday night football. The Bengals shredded them. 
Um, the uh, the this the um, the Ravens obviously ate them alive. Um, look, if you want to go back to just the the game down the stretch where I didn't think Sam Howell was horrible, was that f- first half of the game against the 49ers when Washington was right there in the game. Remember that game on New Year's Eve. They were right there. They were moving the football. They had some success against the 49er defense, and they hadn't had any success offensively in recent games. But in that first half, they did a really, really good job. And then the turnovers came in the second half. You know, the back to there was that interception at the end of a long drive. They were moving the football, um, but Hal threw the. Um, uh, the ball that was picked off by Ward uh, down at like the two-yard line, and then he threw another one, and, and then the game got out of control. Um, but there is a lot of uh, – there's a big-time response here in, in the NFL pundit circles uh, with Kyle Shanahan firing Steve Wilkes because they looked at the game on Sunday and said, wait a minute, Steve Wilkes didn't miss an extra point. Steve Wilkes wasn't Christian McCaffrey fumbling as they were going in for a score. Steve Wilkes didn't make the decision not to call timeouts at the end of the first half on defense to get the ball back. Steve Wilkes didn't, you know, take the ball in overtime. Kyle, in his decision-making, more than anybody else's, on Sunday cost the 49ers a chance at the Super Bowl. I can't disagree with that, that thought, but... Here's the thing when it comes to these kinds of conversations. Steve Wilkes has been here in recent years. The perception is he's been given the runaround. He has been disrespected and essentially discarded way too early. Since leaving Ron Rivera, where he was with Ron from 2012 through the 2017 season in Carolina – First as a DB's coach, then as a as the assistant head coach and defensive coordinator in 2017, and then he got the head coaching job in Arizona off of that you know uh, performance with Carolina in 2017. He was one year with Arizona as a head coach, one opportunity, one season, thrown out the door. They brought in somebody with no NFL experience who is now our offensive coordinator in Cliff Kingsbury. Then he goes to Cleveland one season as the defensive coordinator. He goes to college, Missouri, one year as the defensive coordinator. Comes back to the NFL one season in Carolina. By the way, remember he became the interim head coach in Carolina in 2022 for Matt Rule. Did a pretty good job. And then one year as the defensive coordinator in San Francisco. I look at a guy whose career has been much more successful than unsuccessful. You know, take away the one year in Arizona as a head coach when they went 3-13, and and there were lots of reasons for that, right? I mean, you had, you know, you had a first-year quarterback, you had a lot of the moving pieces. They didn't give him a chance. They wanted to bring in an offensive guy to work with Kyler Murray. Um, that interim job he did with Carolina after they fired Matt Rule, he was 6-6 six and six with a pretty bad football team. And as a defensive coordinator, he's always been discussed as one of the better defensive coordinators in the game. But then I just kind of look back at the last six years. One year, one year, one year, one year, one year. The only person that he spent a long time with in this last you know, decade and a half, really, is Ron Rivera in Carolina. 
And I don't know the reasons. Kyle wasn't specific with the reasons. It does not look good. You know, the the overall optics of firing your defensive coordinator two days after a Super Bowl in which your defense did a pretty decent job holding Kansas City to two to six in the two of six in the red zone, uh, forcing turnovers, holding them to, you know, twenty-two points or nineteen points in regulation. That the defense was not the reason for the loss. That zero coverage blitz called at the end of uh, in overtime when he hit Rasheed Rice on third and six, probably not a call Kyle liked. I can tell you this on the in the Monday night game against the Vikings back in October, they called a zero coverage blitz defensively at the end of the half, and Cousins threw a touchdown pass over the top to Jordan Addison, and Kyle I remember was furious after the game for calling a zero coverage blitz with like five seconds to go in the half. It was a terrible call, terrible call. But Wilkes has done enough during the course of his career to get the benefit of the doubt perception-wise. I just look at it and I wonder, what's, what's the issue here? There's so much more to just... Really good defense, third allowed points this year, ninth in defensive expected, you know, et cetera, et cetera. The 49ers defensively at times this year, pretty awesome. Not great in the postseason. But when you're just in the last six years, one year, one year, one year, one year, one year, could it be something we don't know? Personality clash. Um, You know, maybe it's philosophical. But if it's philosophical, why did Kyle hire him in the first place? It's not like you didn't know what you were getting in hiring Steve Wilkes to be your defensive coordinator. If you were surprised that he was a little bit different than D'Amico Ryans, you knew that going in. But in these situations, it's always so much more than the pundits are screaming about. And when you look at the last six, seven years, everywhere he's been, it's been one year. Now, sometimes it's because it was an opportunity that he left. Um, anyway, interesting interesting decision and I don't think the timing of it makes Kyle look very good I don't uh especially given how much the whole situation going into overtime got messed up and there is tremendous video from NFL films on this audio which I'm going to play for you when we come back Kevin Sheehan showed the team 980 and the team 980.com Does Washington need another wide receiver? Uh, That's coming up here uh, in a moment. Um, By the way, there's uh, new news on the events in Kansas City yesterday. Uh, This is a report from the Associated Press. Authorities in Kansas City said that the mass shooting, which left one person dead and 22 injured, unfolded amid throngs of people um, with... Hold on for one second. Sorry. Uh that stemmed from a dispute between several people. Uh, there is, There are three people in custody, two of which are juveniles. Firearms galore recovered during the mayhem, but they believe many others perhaps were involved in this dispute. No discussion as to what the dispute was over. But we had, you know, a victory parade, and it sounds like there was some arguments, and then people packing heat, and then all of a sudden, all hell broke loose. Two of the three juveniles in 
um, in being detained right now. By the way, they're they're asking the authorities are just asking everybody with cell phone footage to turn it over because it seems like based on reading this story, they believe a lot more people were involved. So there you go. Wonderful. Uh, so I saw this yesterday, um, on Twitter and it was the, uh, NFL films. You're, you're going to start seeing, I guess there, there will be an NFL films, you know, hour long Super Bowl 58 with all of the players mic'd up. But this exchange was the best part of what I've seen so far. And it was the coin toss before overtime. Which, first of all, Mahomes, I think, right, we'll hear Mahomes confirming that they don't want the ball, you know, and then he says something about what direction do you want us to go in? Because we don't want the ball if we were to win the toss. And then you'll hear him come back talking about they took the ball, they took the ball. And then you'll hear Kelsey. And then you'll hear Kyle Juszczyk, um in the exchange with uh, an assistant coach for the 49ers. So go ahead and play it, Denton, and then we'll circle back and explain uh, the parts that may need video to it. Go with the toss? Yeah. Which way you want to kick it? They call it. They call it, right? Yeah, they call the coin flip. It's their coin flip, right? Which way do you want to kick it? We want the ball, Fred. San Francisco, you are still the visitors. What is your call? Tails again. He called tails again. It is tails. What receive? You want the ball? Which way do you want to kick? We're going to kick that way. San Francisco received first and overtime. Good luck, gentlemen. They want it. They want the ball. They wanted it. Hey, they want it. They wanted it, baby. We want them to have the ball. They want it. They can have it. Hey, even if we score a touchdown, they still get the ball. I didn't know that. So I didn't identify, first of all, Kyle saying, right, Denton, Kyle saying, we want the ball if we win the toss. Um, You heard Kyle Juszczyk saying that he didn't know that they get the ball back until at that moment. The Chiefs were talking, you know, going out, that's Mahomes and Reed saying, Mahomes is saying, but they get to call the coin flip. Um, and it, you know, just confirming, but then saying understood, we're not, we don't want the ball. Which way do you want to kick? Um, and then you had Kelsey going, Oh my God, they, they, they took the ball. There's more to this, by the way, according to Kelsey, the referee in the game, uh, actually said to Fred Warner, when he said, we'll take the ball when they won the toss, he actually said, are you sure? The ref looked at Fred Warner and said, are you sure? Um, Seemed like everybody in the building, uh, everybody watching understood that with the new rules, you kick except for Kyle Shanahan and his football team. Kyle's a great coach, don't get me wrong, but man, it's been a tough few days, and I'd love to root for a team whose tough few days are in the wake of a Super Bowl loss for the second time in four years. 
All right. I, I would love to have had that kind of experience over the years, but man, rough couple of days for a guy that, you know, has been labeled as this genius and doesn't get anything wrong. And I still think the end of the first half was really hurtful to the 49ers' chances. They blew a, pos- a potential possession to at least go down and potentially get three more for a 10-point lead at halftime versus a 10-3 to lead. But everybody but Kyle and the 49ers seemed to understand that the idea here with the new overtime rules was to kick. I do get it. I, do, I know what the analytics are. I understand that analytically the guys that run all the simulations on this say there's a slight, slight kind of advantage, you know, borderline coin flip, um, but slight, slight 50.19%, you know, advantage to taking the ball. Um, But the reason for that is the third possession, uh, the potential of odd possessions having one more possession than the opponent. The context is you're going to give Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs an extra down knowing what they need. Not a good idea. And it turns out it was not a good idea on Sunday in the Super Bowl. Um, thought that was an interesting exchange for sure. Uh, so I forget when we were talking about this, but it was at some point during yesterday's show and somebody, maybe it was a caller yesterday, uh, yesterday or the day before, said they need a wide receiver. And I was thinking about this. I still believe in Jahan Dotson. And I want to see Jahan Dotson with better quarterback play, with you know perhaps better offensive coordinating um, because I do believe Jahan Dotson has a ton of talent, felt that way, and I think we saw bits and pieces of that during his rookie year. But there are some really good wide receivers available in free agency. Trust me, this is not at the expense of looking at offensive line and looking at some of the other holes. I understand, but you know we can think about more than just a couple of big holes and wonder whether or not there's a small hole at wide receiver. Terry McLaurin's a good receiver. I think he's a number one receiver in the league. I don't think he's an elite number one. Here are the receivers that are available in free agency. T. Higgins, Cincinnati. Mike Evans, Tampa. Michael Pittman Jr. in Indianapolis. He has become a really good receiver. Can I interest you? You can't interest me in some Hollywood Brown. Calvin Ridley is a free agent after missing that full season and playing um, in Jacksonville this year where he had a pretty good season in his season back. Um, There are some receivers available in free agency, and because there are so many, you know, there's going to be perhaps – the opportunity to sign some with sign one or you know sign one of them without paying super high top of the market dollars. Do you think they need to look at wide receiver Denton? I would look in the uh, in the draft more than I would look in free agency. I I don't know if I necessarily love the concept of spending a lot of money in free agency on wide receivers. They've done that before and it's never really panned out. Do you think they need to re-sign Curtis Samuel? Yes. I actually liked how Curtis played this past year. I think he might have been a little overpaid, but there were certain points in Sam Howell's development when he was developing that I thought Curtis was a huge help for him. So I would say yes, especially 
with Cliff Kingsbury's offense. I think he fits well into that. Could you get a um, Could you get a Brian Thomas Jr. from LSU in the second round? Yes, potentially. Yes, I mean it depends how you're going to fire sale on the wide receivers, right? Because we know there's going to be at least three that are taken very high. Marvin Harrison, Malik Neighbors, Roma Dunze. I would imagine that Troy Franklin. Don't you think Keon Coleman's going to be in the first round too? He would be late first round, I think. I understand late first round. Yeah, Who so slips to the second round? Brian Thomas or Key, uh, Keon Coleman could be one of the two. I also think Troy Franklin from Oregon will be drafted in the mid-first round. So you'll have four for sure with the potential of Coleman. Uh, Johnny Wilson is a guy that will be available, but he's more of a massive guy than a, a smaller, fast dude. I'm thinking, of, I'm thinking of big. They need big. Oh, then you want Johnny Wilson. That dude's literally like 6'8". I, I, I thought about Wilson, but I really thought more about Coleman or Thomas Jr. I would prefer of those options, Keon Coleman. I think he's the better of those options, and I think there is a potential that he slips to the second round. You'd probably have to use that Chicago pick on him. Man, I, I could. I, I'd love to see some size and some real, you know, ability, red zone ability to go with Terry and Jahan. Uh, whether you get that in free agency or in the draft, I do think wide receiver is within the realm of being a need on this team. As far as Curtis Sam- Samuel goes, you know, we'll have plenty of time to look at this, but Denton, I bet that there are a lot of Curtis Samuel types in the draft. It's just a type of style of, of wide receiver slash flanker slash running back that just exists in so many different places in college football. I don't see investing what you'd have to invest, Samuel. I don't even know what Spot Rock Rack says the deal would be for Sam. Uh, and by the way, he's what? He's only 27 years old, 28 tops, right? You know, these are still prime years for Samuel. He's not older than 27 or 28, I don't think. No, I can't he, he imagine. He signed here after his rookie deal. Yeah, I can't imagine. He's um but I I wide receiver right now, speed guy, the look at Dotson, the, the, they're going to love Terry. Terry's going to fit into everything that they, you know, want to have, not to mention he's under contract. But I think wide receiver is not at the top of the list, but I bet you it's on the list. And it wouldn't surprise me, given the number of wide receivers in free agency in particular, if they look at wide receiver. You know, like even a guy like DJ Chark is an, under, is an unrestricted free agent. You know, there are guys out there, a guy, you know, if you want to talk about potentially a comp for uh, Curtis Samuel, a guy like Braxton Berrios is out there. Um, I'm looking to see what Curtis Sam. I want to see what his market value is per uh, spot rack. What they think it is. They're take, not always right with this. Yeah, I was about to say, take that with a grain of salt because they did exactly. market value have Taylor Heineke getting $19 million a year last year. Yeah, they're looking at three, $35 million three years, you know, um, as a deal for Curtis Samuel. That's not, you know, overwhelming money for that, for that position. Okay, uh, we're going to talk some NFL draft uh, next. Kevin Sheehan Show, the Team 980 and the Team980.com. Wizards in action last night. They lose to the New Orleans Pelicans 133 to 126. But Denny Avdia had a highlight night, career high 43 points. 
Six of ten from three, added 15 rebounds to go along with that. For the Pelicans, Zion led them with 36 points. Maryland beat Iowa 78-66, to 47 points in the second half for the Terps. Jameer Young had 21 points to lead Maryland. Deshaun Harris-Smith came off the bench with a career-high 17 points on 7 of 10 from the floor. And the NFL 49ers announced they have partnered with defensive coordinator Steve Wilkes. In the NBA, Isaiah Stewart's being charged with a assault for punching Drew Eubanks in the tunnels before the Detroit Pistons and Phoenix Suns matchup. And that's what's trending. Going to be a lot of NFL draft talk on this show between now and the end of April, obviously, with Washington holding number two overall. And we will have, between now and the end of April, probably 150 people on the show to talk about the draft, especially specific areas of the draft. And uh, Barrett Salee is uh, a uh, a host of a show on Sirius XM College Football. He's got a podcast called Smothered and Covered. You can follow him on Twitter, on X, at Barrett, S-A-L-L-E-E. He's in an Atlanta guy um, and really followed the SEC closely. And Denton and I are huge Jaden Daniels uh, hopefuls uh, for sure. So let's start there, Barrett. If Washington has the choice of May and Daniels at two because Chicago takes Caleb Williams, who do you take and why? Yeah, Jaden Daniels. I'm not on the Drake May hype train at all. I mean, don't get me wrong. He was good at, at North Carolina. But to me, he's much closer to Mitch Trubisky than he is a superstar. Uh, Jaden Daniels, to me, I, I think a lot of folks look at Jaden Daniels and think, wow, runner. Uh, no, he's been a passer his entire career dating back to his freshman year at Arizona State. Uh, there was a time where way back when the people in our community, in the recruiting community, and the college football community referred to him as one of the most college-ready freshmen in that right. class. And I think he showed that at Arizona State in his freshman year. Things tailed off a little bit. Um, that was not really due to him. There was organizational issues with Herm and then the 2020 COVID year hit or whatever. But um, Jaden can pass, and he can pass at an elite level. And then when you combine him, uh, combine it with his running ability, he's, he's a superstar in the making. The thing about it, though, is I don't think any NFL team is going to allow him to do what he did in college on the ground because there were one or two times each game where it looked like Jaden was just trying to get his head knocked off. And so that's got to change. But more importantly, I don't think any NFL team uses mobile quarterbacks in the right way. Um, you know, I, I think – at this point, it's still one of those things where they use it as a changeup, but not the primary focus of an offense because they don't want to get their quarterback hurt. The truth of the matter is almost all NFL quarterbacks get hurt anyway. So what's the point? You know, it's not that big of a deal. Mm-hmm. So um, if an NFL team uses him correctly, uh, he's going to be a superstar. All right, I'm going to come back to that on using him correctly here in a second because I'm very interested in your take on that. But – Denton and I were talking yesterday. Things always happen. The NFL draft really isn't solidified in terms of picks until, you know, you've had a combine, you've had sit-downs, you've had lots of due diligence by teams. I think, and Denton and I were talking about this yesterday, we both think that there's a chance that Jaden Daniels will end up being the number one pick in the draft. Do you agree with that or not? I don't necessarily think so, just because Caleb Williams is, far more of a known commodity after what he did two years ago, won the Heisman. And even back dating back to his Oklahoma days, 
Um, yeah, I think there will be it will be easier to fall in love with him from his measurable standpoint because scouts like to do that, which I mean, I, personally to me, falling in love with his measurables is, is, is fine, but they're going to be comparable to, to Jaden. But uh, at the same time, you're going to look and say, they're going to look and say, well, Caleb did that without any offensive line. And he had to, because his defense was crap for two years. LSU's was crap for one year, but Caleb had to do it behind an offensive line that, um, that, that was, subpar as well. So uh, I don't think that Jaden would be the number one pick. And even if it starts to look that way, I would think that a team would trade up and, and go get Caleb because I just, I think that's, that's the love affair the NFL has. And I mean, honestly, NFL scouts to me, um, this whole process, wherever you are in, in January before the senior bowl is where you're going to end up. It's all, to me, it's all one big program. It's all a way to get the NFL into the news 24-7, 365. Um, and, and they do a good job of that. But the tape is the tape. They've all seen it. They've seen it all year long. They've seen it for two or three years. So you, you know what you're getting from, from everybody in the draft. Yeah, I think we see a lot of change between now and the draft, typically in the first round. But I, I'll move off of that. I want to go back to what you said because uh, I'm curious as to – specifically why you think the NFL uses mobile quarterbacks in the wrong way. Dak Prescott's a perfect example. The Cowboys have never used him properly. I don't think that Justin Fields was used properly. There are quarterbacks in the NFL that should be running for 1,000 yards. And the reason they have it is because, oh, the speed of the game is so much different in college, and we don't want to get the guy hurt. Well, NFL quarterbacks get hurt all the time that are statues, right? So if you're going to invest all this money in a guy who can, can move, and that's a huge part of this game, not only from a production standpoint, but also from a distraction standpoint, then why aren't you using him properly? It, to me, it is, it, it's NFL folks not getting with the times. And I, I'm kind of tired of hearing, well, the speed's so different at the NFL level. Well, yeah, it is. But if someone runs for 1,000 yards in the SEC, running for 800 and protecting themselves in the NFL level is not that hard. It's not that much different. The speed's still there. So, um, you know, I, I, there's a lot of, of college um, aspects of college football that have been, you know, matriculating to the NFL, and I'm glad to see it because I do think that the NFL is a better product with a more dynamic offense from top to bottom. And plus, I, I definitely enjoy the college product much more than the NFL. But um, – I think from a quarterback perspective, the the idea that you have to protect your signal caller is just stupid because they know how to get down. They know how to protect themselves. And like I said, statues get hurt all the time. Yeah, it's really interesting because I, I've, I've been on this um, for many, many years going back to in this town, 2012, when – you know, the Shanahan's installed the pistol and they turned Robert Griffin III in his rookie year into, you know, a zone read quarterback for not every play, but he was a threat to run the football in every play. And what turned out to be interesting about it, now he got injured and he had a breakable body, you know, to begin with. He had a track-like body. He didn't have that peripheral vision as a runner, couldn't slide, couldn't protect himself. But as a passer, he was most protected on those zone read play action throws, which Mike Shanahan used to say to me, look, the best play action we have 
is posing Robert as a runner in zone read looks. It's the cleanest yes. pocket he throws from. Um, and I think you're right. I think that, you know, I was fascinated with Greg Roman wherever he went. I, you know, I'm curious to see where, you know, he ends up next and what he did initially in the NFL with Colin Kaepernick off of what Washington was doing with RG3 and then what he did with Lamar Jackson. I think you have a really good point. I think this idea that when you have a great running quarterback, and by the way, Jaden Daniels is so much more than that. For for those of you that yeah. are listening, he's a great runner, but this guy may be the best deep ball thrower we've seen come into the draft in a while. But beyond that, I think you're right. I think 11-on-11 football, which is the way the Shanahans have always explained it, you turn your quarterback into a runner or pose him as a runner, you are 11-on-11, and that is a big advantage. And teams still to this day, I think to your point, there's still a lot of zone read. Don't get me wrong. There's still a lot of designed run, but there is still very much the fear of it as well. Yeah, and honestly, you know, you guys know all too well about RG3. I think that is a big reason why it hasn't, you know, become more of a factor because, I mean, that I wouldn't say ended RG3's career because I think he did come back, but it ended his career, right? Um, you guys know how bad that turf is up there. <laughs> you know, uh, if if that, you know, didn't happen, if it was on artificial turf, I think he'd have been fine. And, and players hate artificial turf, but – um, I still think he'd be fine. So I think that's a big part of it. Uh, but yeah, you mentioned Lamar Jackson. Like, why, why can't you? Why can't other teams do that with Jaden? Why can't other teams do that with Justin Fields? They are they're fully capable of operating that kind of offense, and they just refuse to do it. So, what kind of offense? Moving away from that p- part of the conversation, what kind of offense do you think best suits Jaden Daniels? Cliff Kingsbury is the offensive coordinator here. Now, he didn't bring air raid in full effect to Arizona. They had a tight end in Zach Ertz. They ran the football, you know, in their one really good season uh, with James Conner um, and Chase Edmonds. What kind of offense best suits Jaden Daniels? And talk about what you think the fit with Cliff Kingsbury would be. I would think the the way to do it, go back and watch Houston tape from his last year with Kevin Sumlin in 2011 with the pure air raid, and then kind of go back to what you mentioned with Kyler, um, uh, not at A&M, but at Arizona. Um, and that's where it needs to be. You need to have a, a willing runner, and a, a guy who can you, you can use as the focal point. And I think more importantly, you have to have a, a couple of, of running backs because at that point, like you said, you know, you play 11 on 11, you have um, the all, you always have the threat, but you have a guy who can use that and implement all the air raid, uh, you know, uh, implements in that as well, elements in that as well. So, you know, there's no right way or wrong way to use Jaden Daniels because I do think that he can excel in a variety of different ways and a variety of different systems. Um, but you have to be able to, to use the air raid principles that, that he was successful with uh, because they did a lot of that at LSU, um, but also give him the ability to, to do things on his own. So um, I would say, you know, more or less the Houston tape from 11 with Kevin Sumlin when Cliff was there um, but who was the quarterback the that year? Was that Case Keenum? Back. Was that Case that was, Keenum? That was Case, yes. Yeah. Um, um, we're talking. And then, and yeah, then, and then, and then give him 
uh, not all the Manziel runs like we saw with Cliff at uh, at A and M in two thousand twelve, but um, you know, fifteen times a game, like where he it is on him to run. Do you think Kingsbury is sitting back here saying? Uh, one of the reasons I love this opportunity is we can take Jaden Daniels at two. <laughs> I would imagine, yes. I would imagine that's a, that's a big part of it. I'm sure he'd be fine with Caleb Williams, too, but he would not be fine with Drake May. So I think that tells you all you need to know about what Washington should do. All right, let, that's where I wanted to go next. We're talking to Barrett Sully. Uh, Barrett is a college football guy for SiriusXM. He's got a really good college football podcast called Smothered and Covered. You can get that anywhere you get a podcast. So specifically, why do you think you know Kingsbury and any other team should be off of May before Daniels and Williams? I just don't think Drake May with a, with a, at least one superstar receiver was that good. And if you if you have if you're in the NFL, you're going to have top level DBs everywhere. So even if you get uh, a guy like Tez Walker, who was awesome in college, uh, and and put him in the NFL, or you know just uh, put any superstar receiver in the NFL, they're going to be covered, you know, pretty much all the way. Like they're going to have somebody following him all over the place. So I think Drake just doesn't. Um, go through progressions all that much. I don't think his system did him any favors. The Phil Longo system, I don't think, prepares guys for for where they need to go and maybe um, is more of a, you know, create system quarterbacks than anything else. You could see that with Matt Corral back in the day. Um, so I just, I don't think that he has, you know, the Sam Howell type upside. I mean, I don't, honestly don't think that, and I, look, not, not to say Sam Howell is good at the NFL level, but I think that Drake May, the ceiling at the NFL level, is probably as a backup. What do you think the ceiling? I mean, you just said you don't think he had the upside that Sam Howell has. What do you think Sam Howell's upside is? I still think he can be an effective starter. You know, I know that I, I, I don't think that, that he has been in situations where he has been, um, been helped by, by situations. Uh, I think Drake May, at best, is maybe comparable. But at number two, you would not pass on taking a quarterback to try to develop Sam Howell. No, 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 okay. no, no, no. No. Oh. I mean, Sam yeah. Howell, I think Sam Howell could be a great backup like Blaine Gabbert and, you know, Chase Daniel and have a, a great – and I honestly think Drake May could do that too. I mean, and there's, not, there's something to be said for holding the clipboard, you know, for 12 years. Um, <laughs> Chase Daniels, but, one of the great businessmen uh, in the history of the NFL, uh, that's for sure. So seriously. what about the other quarterbacks? Are you as high on J.J. McCarthy as number four as it seems a lot of the mocks are? Uh, no, not really. Well, no, I wouldn't say that. I think the thing with, with J.J. McCarthy and – not to take away from things that he did at Michigan and winning the national championship. When, when did we ever have to see him go win a football game with his arm? Never, never. Yeah. Is the I answer. mean, the, the, I think the only time would be the fourth quarter of the Rose bowl against Alabama. And he did it. I mean, yeah. no, awesome. you're right. He did it. Good for him. Uh, but that's not enough of a sample size. I mean, it's just not enough of a sample size for, for me to think that he can be an effective quarterback in the NFL level. And look, that's not fair to him because it wasn't, it, it actually,
actually was his fault that he never put him in situations like that because he was too busy winning, you know. But um, we've seen what Jaden Daniels can do. We've seen what Caleb Williams can do. When when you put it on the quarterback's shoulders, you know what you're getting for a lot of guys out there. But um, you really don't from JJ. And so, is he worth the risk? Sure, maybe, but I, I, the answer for, from an NFL perspective is I don't really know. And to be honest with you, you know, I'm, I'm not the biggest NFL draft guy, so like I don't do mock drafts or anything, but I just, for, um, for me, watching J.J. McCarthy, you know, cruise through his college career is great for him, but I think you need to – there would be – it would be helpful if there was more, more tape out there of him having to go win a game. All right, uh, let's talk a little college football real quickly. So what has Alabama become without Nick Saban? I think Alabama will become um, a 10-2 and two team at worst. And Well, no, 9-3 and three team at worst. I mean, I'm not and, talking about this upcoming season. I'm talking about under Kalen no, no, DeBoer. Is it going to be yeah, no, year in and year out? Okay, sorry. Yeah, well, Go that's ahead. what I'm talking about. I mean, a nine okay. and three team that can win a play, can win a national championship, and is somewhere in that vicinity, in that ballpark. At worst, nine and three. At best, national championship. Um, you know, I, I think Kalen's a winner. There's no doubt about that. Uh, I do. There's definitely concern down here whether you know an outsider like him can recruit um, at the level you, you need to in, in the SEC. Uh, but I, I think he's done a good job of of keeping guys around like Robert Gillespie, who got elevated to an assistant head coaching job. Uh, it was announced yesterday. Um, so there's, there are um, reasons to think that he can handle the grind of the SEC. So if that's the case, then yeah, they can win national championships. The thing I, I keep thinking about, I keep saying this, and I said this on, on 84 a couple of days ago, are we sure that Kalen DeBoer is not going to get sick of college football? Because there, there are, we saw it, today with Sean Elliott doesn't want to deal with the administrative side of things. And so leaving a head coaching position for an assistant coaching job or assistant coaching job in the NFL, like we saw with Jeff Halfley is uh, that's going to be out there if things don't get fixed. So if if you can't, if you can't deal with the pressure at Alabama or if you just don't want to, is he a long-term coach, a long-term resident of Tuscaloosa? I, I don't know the answer to that, but it wouldn't surprise me if, Maybe he does have pro aspirations because it takes a different kind of personality. So I've got I got thirty seconds, but I'm curious about one thing. Um, you know, you mentioned Halfley, and we talked about Chip Kelly. You know, who was first looked like leaving UCLA for an NFL job. Now he's at Ohio State um, as a coordinator. Is Alabama's NIL, you know, capability at the same level in the SEC as say LSU's or Georgia's? No, it's not. Um, it's, I didn't think so. That's one thing that they've struggled with. Um, you know, and I think across the state, Auburn's not actually done a much better job. LSU's done a good job. Uh, Georgia struggled a little bit, but it's not coming in. So, yeah, Alabama. Why is that? Is it just because of the oil money in Texas versus the alums of Alabama just don't have the deep pockets? It's oil money plus desperation. Like, <laughs> those two things mean cash yeah. money for both those teams. I got to run. Really appreciate it. Great conversation. Thanks, Barrett. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Yep. Barrett Salee uh, with SiriusXM College Football Radio has a really good podcast called Smothered and Covered. 
Uh, thanks to everybody who was on the show today. We had a long list of guests today. Uh, Stephen was great, Stephen Spector, telling us about what it was like to be a part of Kansas City uh, yesterday. All right, back tomorrow. Uh, Chris Russell's next.